Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today's show is sponsored by Social Media Marketing World 2014. I'll share more about this event later on in today's show. I am super excited about today's show. Today we're going to explore some of the common social media marketing mistakes that many of us make, including me, and how to fix them with Scott Stratton, author of Unmarketing. I've also got a cool new find that I want to share with you. As a matter of fact, let's go ahead and do that right now. After untangling a school of anacondas, look what Michael Stelzner found. Okay, well, um, I'm kind of embarrassed to share this with you guys, but I like to listen to podcasts in kind of unusual places. (laughs) And... um, I listen in the shower and uh, stupid me, I put my iPhone in the shower and uh, all of a sudden I somehow it got wet, (laughs) duh, and I ended up um, frying the speakers on the phone and I was like freaking out and I let it dry for a couple hours and thank God the speakers came back. But after that happened, I immediately started seeking out an alternative and what I found is really cool and I think for anybody who... Um, is like me and and likes to listen to podcasts and places where it could be a little wet. <laughs> um, I recommend you get the Splash Shower Tunes um, device. Splash Shower Tunes is this little thing and it comes in different colors. It kind of looks like a hockey puck and it is a Bluetooth wireless speaker and it's got a big suction cup on it. So you can go ahead and you can stick it up on the wall, you can stick it on the glass, basically wherever you want. And the way it works is it's got some very basic controls like volume control and pause and all that fun stuff. And you can stick your iPhone in a nice safe place or your whatever else, Android, you know, away from the shower. And um, the distance on this thing is pretty crazy. I, I just kind of walked around my house to test it. But it, it, it it's really nice and really loud and you can stick it literally right up on the wall next to your ear so you can hear even better when you're in the shower. So for those of you that are shower... Um, listeners to uh, podcasts, including this, check out Splash Shower Tunes. And just for the fun of it, I would like to find out if you listen to podcasts in the shower. If you do, uh, do me a favor and leave your comments in the show notes, which you can do at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 84. All right, that was kind of embarrassing, but I hope somebody listening found value in that. Okay, with that, I've got something else I'd like to share with you. Join 2,000 fellow marketers at the mega conference designed to inspire and empower you. Social Media Marketing World 2014. Brought to you by Social Media Examiner. You'll rub shoulders with the biggest names and brands in social media. Soak up countless tips and new strategies. And enjoy extensive networking opportunities in San Diego, California. Pick from more than 60 expert-led sessions. Network aboard a naval aircraft carrier. Meet industry leaders Chris Brogan, Murray Smith, Jay Bear, and Michael Hyatt. Don't miss the industry's largest conference. Secure your ticket before the event sells out. 
Visit socialmediaworld14.com today. Well, if you've been listening to the podcast, I've been talking about this conference for a while, and we're literally just two weeks out from the conference, which is crazy. So a uh, couple of really exciting pieces of news that I want to share with you. First of all, uh, we've, we've just announced uh, one of the keynotes that we're adding is called um, Have We Lost the Social in Social Media? And Jay Bear is going to be moderating a, moderating a panel with Ted Rubin, Jeff Roars, and Nicole Kelly. And um, these are really just awesome, incredible people. Jay Bear is the author of Utility. Ted Rubin, author of Return on Relationships. Jeff Roars is the author of Audience. And Nicole Kelly is the author of How to Measure Social Media. And it'll be a very interesting, lively keynote where we're going to be exploring whether or not social media is turning more into a broadcast medium and whether it really still matters to engage with people. And I think it'll be a really eye-opening conversation. In addition, we also have some exciting news. If you've been listening to me talk about this uh, conference for a while and you're like, man, I just can't afford to make it to San Diego, well, I've got some good news for you. We've just announced a virtual ticket. And what that means is that you can access every session, every keynote after they've been recorded for an entire year. So this is 80 more than 80 sessions from the top leading social media folk in the world, and you can get it for a very reasonable price. Uh, it doesn't give you the benefits, obviously, of live access and the benefits of being there in person and networking with people, but it's a much more economical alternative. So to check out the virtual ticket, go to socialmediaexaminer.com slash VT, which stands for virtu- virtual ticket, socialmediaexaminer.com slash VT. And if you want to just check out the main conference, Social Media World 14. With that, let's transition over to today's expert interview with Scott Stratton. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. I'm very excited to be joined today by Scott Stratton. If you don't know who Scott is, he's the author of Unmarketing and the co-host of the Unpodcast. His latest book is called QR Codes Kill Kittens. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Well, thanks for joining me. And today, Scott and I are going to explore some of the mistakes that marketers tend to make and how they can do it right. So, Scott, um, let's go back to the first book, Unmarketing. Yeah. Why did you decide to write that book? What were businesses doing wrong? Share a little bit of backstory that led to that. Yeah, I actually, I named the company Unmarketing 12 years ago because I thought it would look good on a cover of a book one day. And I think it looks wow. fantastic. <laughs> and I actually went, well, before I wrote it, um, I went into the, the bookstore and went up in Canada and I looked into all the business books and they kind of had the all, you know, the, the same, you know, the same thing being said with a different title. And I, you know, I, I thought there was always a need for mine, but what I was never going to do was I wasn't going to publish it. Uh, without leverage. So I waited for a publisher to come to me. I built my platform and then um, somebody from Wiley contacted me and said, why haven't you written a book? And I said, why haven't you offered me a book deal yet? And we went from there and uh, I wrote it and I actually wrote it for entrepreneurs. This is the funny part. I wrote it for entrepreneurs, people who were able and willing to shift their mind or they were hoping there was a different way to do things. And I'm really surprised it's caught on corporately, to be honest with you, mm. that um, it was during the, it, the infancy kind of 2009, 2010 of the, the social explosion as we know it kind of now. 
And I wrote it for people who had enough of just saying, this is what you do to market. It's been the same way for 100 years. Cold call, push message, and this is all you do. And I didn't, I didn't believe in it. So it was like a cross between content, marketing, social media, and, and a little bit of viral marketing thrown in. You said that you built your platform first and then waited for the publishers to come a call in. Can you elaborate a little bit about how you went about building that platform? Yeah. I, uh, it, for me, it was originally, I'm an old school email uh, marketing guy, you know, I'm old school internet marketing guy. So my power was always in the list. And I knew the more I grew a list, uh, um, the, the more power it had for me when it came to my platform. And once 2009 rolled around and social really kind of took off to another level, I realized, you know, it's a new platform. But what I had to do to build that platform, which is a lot of people weren't doing at the time, was focus. And I used just Twitter. I just focused on Twitter. And I, I joined in 08 and I thought it was stupid. Uh, you know, everybody's telling me what they had for lunch and I couldn't care less. And I didn't so, figure it out at know, first either, by the way, I was totally confused by Twitter. Yeah, so. I, and you and I had the same question, right? It was, I don't understand. I don't see the point. Yeah, you know, exactly. I think we're smart guys. I just, we didn't get it. And 2009, January 1st, I said, okay, I'm giving it 30 days. I'm going to live on here for 30 days. And if it doesn't give me anything, uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to let it go. And, and but, but at least then I can intelligently tell people that I don't think it's worth for this reason or this reason versus just kind of brushing it off without trying it. And I tweeted 7,000 times in those 30 days. Wow. And I had 1,200 followers at the start of that month. And I ended it with 10,000 followers at the end of that month. And I, you know, I realized, you know, wow, not only is there potential here for platform, but there was great potential for connection and conversation. And I really haven't stopped tweeting since then, you know, over 100,000 tweets of uh, over 160,000 followers. And I, I just went, you know what? I built my platforms one at a time. Once I was finished with Twitter, meaning I didn't have to make, you know, put the same amount of effort in to get momentum with my content, I moved over to the next one. So I moved into uh, um, LinkedIn a little more. And then I, then I, but then I launched my blog. So I didn't even have content to share on Twitter first. And this is one of the biggest mistakes I find people make a lot is they'll create, you know, a lot of content base and then they'll get on Twitter with no followers and say, here, here's my blog post, here's my content. And it's kind of a little bit backwards to me that, you know, you don't want to get on there trying to shell, you know, shell stuff and, and, and pitch it. You want to you get out there and give first to the network. And that's what I did. And I've been doing, I still do that now ever since. It's just build one platform at a time. So um, this is intriguing because you, you did do things differently than, um, but then again, that's who Scott Stratton is, right? <laughs> that's right. Um, you know, to start with a Twitter following, which back then 10,000 was a number that probably was, Impressive, right? And you probably had Chris Brogan out there tweeting even more than you did back then, right? Am I right? Yeah. Well, back then, when when Chris tweeted, I could see it. Like literally, whoever was there, we we for the most part knew each other, right? Like, you you went on back. What I loved about it, I don't want to sound like that grumpy old man telling kids to get off his lawn, but back in '09 when we were tweeting, we were only tweeting because we wanted to be there, and it, there was no you know you should be there. There was no mandatory engagement. There was not even the term social strategy wasn't even around. It was people talking to people, and it became a no-brainer. And then, and I, I, I bet now if I did the same strategy now, if I joined, you know, let's say March first, two thousand fourteen, and did it for thirty days, my results will be a whole lot different than it was back then. I think it's a the platform has certainly migrated and shifted. Okay, good. Well, this is very good for people to hear that there's many different ways to skin the cat. And what I like about what you did, Scott, was you immersed yourself into a social network, experimented with it, gave yourself a drop deadline. And, you know, if it wasn't working for you, you were going to you're going to move on. But it did work. And then you, you, you kind of started expanding into the next thing and then ultimately to the blog. Now, did you have the blog by the time Wiley caught your 
caught yeah. the, caught your yeah, eye. Yeah, because that was crucial because not only did you need a platform, you also need, by that time, if you want anything like a book deal, you know, you also need the content. Right. So, and when the content starts driving itself through networks, that means you can keep yourself in front of all the people because most, you know, when I, what I've learned after, you know, writing three of them and now writing the fourth is that the industry just listens, you know, and they ask each other. I've been asked many times, you know, who, who do you see out there that's up and coming, who's got a buzz about them? And I know my name was said two or three times by people back in 2009, which opened the window for that. And that's how I got in. But I had to have both the platform and the content. Outstanding. And I know we met for the first time at Blog World. Um, gosh, it must have been 2010. Is that when your book yep, came yep, out? 2010. That's right. Yep. So, um, you know, you're for those that don't know you. I mean, kind of explain what you do. I mean, help everybody understand, kind of um, what you do for a living. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm I'm pretty much happily unemployed by this point. Where I, you know, I, I used to have a my, you know, my unagency. We used to do you know viral marketing and video projects for a, almost a decade, and now all I do is keynote conferences and, and write ridiculously ranting books and I'm 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 very lucky and very rare to and uh, to have to be one of the kind of the few people out there that makes a living speaking. It's not like a part of my income or it gets leads. My job is speaking and um I I freaking love it. And uh, and I'm you're real and you're that. really funny, but you know what drives the speaking is the observations that you make, right? Yeah, and, 100%. It's and, more I, I I do a, I do a commentary now. Really, it's I'm like a a verbal columnist, you know what I mean? Where my job is now to give opinion and, uh, uh, you know, people say, and people give that a knock against me sometimes. They're like, well, you're not, you're not in the trenches. You're not doing it. I'm like, no, I don't work at all. And you know, that's what we, you know, it's, I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm okay with that now. I've, I've, I've had enough with the client side of things. I had enough of the consulting side of things. And now, and what I, Mitch Joel said it the best for me. He, he gave me the best title and he just called me a storyteller. And that's what I liked the best was, you know, your job is to take st- concepts and things and, and stories and, and give them to people so they can relate to them, understand them, and then implement something with them. Okay. So what we're going to do um, for for pretty much the remainder of this podcast is kind of explore some of your observations because sure. what I think is really cool about you is that you um, you notice things and you crystallize things and you make them into you know funny stories that are teachable lessons. But before we do anything else, I just want to play a sound clip for you and get the backstory on this. Here it is. Mm-hmm. Talk about this. What the heck is this? <laughs> oh, it's a seven-minute project that uh, we threw together. Um, I was inspired by it's the no site, so it's it's instantnobutton.com or it's n plus fifteen o, so it's no.com. <laughs> Why fifteen? Because fourteen was already taken. And uh, and what happened was I loved the uh, instant fail button site. I don't know if you ever saw it. You, you go to the site, you click it, and it was the Price is Right, the bim, bum, 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 site, and I loved it. And I'm like, there's got to be a no one. And it wasn't out there. So I went and just kind of posted something on Facebook and said, does anybody know how to do a little programming for me? Some guy's like, yeah, I can do it for no problem. But he wouldn't even charge me for it. And I gave him the button and the picture of, you know, it's like Darth Vader yelling no. Uh, and I put it up there. And uh, about four four years ago now, and it's been clicked uh, 20 million times. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> 20 million times. And it says, all it says is press in dire situations. So there's been 20 million dire situations you know, in the world. And so this is, of course, the funny thing about that site is most people have seen it. They have no idea it's mine. 
And uh, so it's like, it's going to be on my gravestone. You know, it's just going to be no, my grave. <laughs> that's what I'll get known for when, I, when I'm all said and done. No matter how many books or talks, that's the famous thing. And the funny, so the great thing about that is it's just, it's, it shows you, it's, it, you know, people share great content or whether it's funny or stupid. And, and Reddit was really the reason it took off because it, it works perfectly with geeks, myself included. And we just launched the, um, the app in the Google Play Store. And it's already got 30,000 downloads for the No Button app on just, on just for Android. Like it's been, it's been stupidly fun. And it, it's Google AdWords on it. So I make fun money with it. And, you know, but when you make between six and seven, eight thousand dollars a year on a, seven minute project. That's a good ROI. Yeah. Well, I, I thought I'd play that just to kind of give everybody a little bit, a bit of uh, backstory into kind of your creative humor. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's talk about what drives you mad, Scott, because I know that, um, like I said earlier, you're observing a lot in the world of marketing and in particular in the world of social media marketing. What are some of the things that, that you see a lot of marketers doing and for whatever reason, they keep doing it over and over again but it makes you want to scream no. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, there's your, the honest thing is that that whole button is me screaming no every day. It's just, it makes me, it, to the point where I kept seeing stuff happen. I'm like, somebody else has to, somebody has to say something here. And my, one of my biggest problems is back to the point where I said I focused on a platform then I built it and then I went to the next one. It's the marketing, it's the brand side of thing where it's the social media consultant who pretends to be, you know, present in all platforms, but you're not actually present. You're not there. And what I mean by is, is the, the scheduling, the, the, the syncing of accounts. So the Facebook updates go on Twitter and Twitter updates go on Facebook. I have the same beef in 2010. And people are like, you said that a long time ago. I'm like, it's still happening. It's worse. Like it's, I don't, the one, and one of the things I'm coming, we, we really, and I, I try to stress today is, you know, you can make an argument for scheduling. I, get, I understand it. I understand why people will schedule a post or do these things or even sync it. You know, we can debate that all day. Here's the problem. Syncing and scheduling and absentee tweeting has really, to me, killed Twitter. Really. You, you're not going to find a bigger fanboy on Twitter than me. Like, if it wasn't for Justin Bieber, I'd be the most popular Canadian on Twitter. Like, I love this place. <laughs> and I despise it because we have this absentee tweeting where – and here's the argument I give for people. I know I'm running on here, but I have a point. No, go that ahead. When people schedule tweets, the argument to me they make is, well, look, if somebody replies to my scheduled tweet, I'll get a notification and I'll go there and make sure I still engage. So what's the problem, Scott? The problem is you're not there for everybody else's tweets about anything, about their freaking lunch or their blog post or their kid that just won a soccer tournament. You're not giving um, unconditionally. To the, all you're doing is answering people who talk to you. So instead of being a community, which is a bunch of chairs sitting around a circle, we're sitting there in cubicles. And if somebody throws a post-it note in our thing, we'll reply to it. It's like a bunch of cubicles in a circle getting texts back and forth. Only when we get a message do we reply. So there's no there's no uh, community currency being made anymore. And this is the biggest thing I hear now, is when people tweet, nothing. Nobody hears it. Unless you at somebody Nobody's hearing it. If I tweeted in 2009 something, I'm telling you, I guarantee you, I would get hundreds, I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of replies. I tweet something now, I'll get 12. You know, and that's, that's high. That's high. And I opened, we, we do a sister podcast with our, with Unpodcast. We do the, the Vegas 30, which is Vegas for people over 30. And we started a new Twitter account for that a few months ago. And I, so it was at zero followers. And I started tweeting and it was crickets. And I sat there, I'm like, this is horrible. Is this what Twitter's like for people without followings? Like, I was so, 
I was so shocked and so saddened that it was just there was just nobody there to listen. And in 09, if I wanted to tweet something and directly at somebody or just tweet it in general, they'd reply back to me. But it's so statuesque and mannequin-like now that there is no community based on there anymore. And it really hurts, which is why I'm there a lot less. Do you think the internet marketers ruined it for everyone? No, oh, I think the marketers ruined it, period. I just think, you know, internet marketers ruined a lot of stuff, but... It's the marketers who wanted to pretend they're internet marketers as well and just used classical marketing to push messages through. It's just, hey, it's just another channel. We got uh, we got mobile media now. We've got uh, bus shelter ads and TV, and now it's Twitter. So let's just automate the, the tweets. And now, we're look, we're engaging. Like, I don't – We, you see, you see this, how angry Yeah, this is, this is a good point because, you know, at Social Media Examiner, we have, you know, a Facebook page, which is managed by a team. Um, a LinkedIn group, which is managed by a team, a Google Plus, Twitter, and LinkedIn accounts. And that's it. And they're all managed, some actively more than others. But for example, we've wanted to move into Pinterest and to Instagram, but I've told my team no, because I don't want to just open an account and have it be dormant and vacant. Right. And, you know, um, I think that part of the problem here, Scott, is that so many marketers that are our age and older were trained that marketing is just something that you um, push out to the world and then mm-hmm. and then and then you're done and yeah. I think this is a total rethinking of the way we do marketing don't you agree they look at the word social media and the two words then they think media exactly right? they look at the second word and I, I I want we should we should really make a wager here how many people that the listeners think how many people you think and the marketing tables and all the boardrooms in the past 24 hours try to think up and, and discuss what their whatsapp strategy is now like, you know what, like they get, they get bought by from you know, 18, 19 billion dollars. And now they're trying to figure out, they don't even know what it is, mm. but they know, well, it's, it's the biggest exploding social network out there, which, which it's not at all. And they're like, we should, we need to be there. They don't know what it is. All they know is they want part of the popularity and they don't realize it's not, it's not, has nothing to do with it. And, and it's, it's so it's, funny it's, because it's, remember with, with Google Plus came out, you know, um, some of our oh friends God. put up, I'm no longer on Facebook and they, they rushed to Google Plus. <laughs> oh, yeah, they changed their profile picture and said, I'm not here anymore. Yeah, exactly. It just kind of, what is it about this land rush mentality? It, but you know what that is? It's exactly that. It's literally up in the Yukon and somebody's hit some kind of strain of gold somewhere and they're going to go, as long as we're within 5,000 miles, we should be just fine. It's like, we all want to be next first right we or you know we just want to be okay so we weren't there for the original facebook or we weren't there first on twitter but look we can do it here we'll be right. here like they're the number one site for abandoned brand pages is google plus right like so you look at it and you look at and i always say data is dangerous right so you look at the numbers you look at wow how many brand pages have at least have a google plus page set up and they have the highest abandonment rate of any of, of just like a, a you know a ghost town on their page because they don't know why they're there Right. They just were told that I had three people. I'm telling you, man, three people in the first 48 hours of the public opening of Google Plus. I had three people write to me multiple times each and say, "You have to be on there, man. You can't be a person in this industry that's supposed to be a, a leader or a, a commentator on it and not have a profile." And I'm like, like literally, they thought my my the sky was falling for me. I'm like, look, and I'm I'm there. I've tried. I did the same thing with it. I did with Twitter. I gave it a shot. I got. I don't know, 12, 15,000, 20,000 people who have circled me. I don't really know what that means, but they've circled me and I'm there. <laughs> Hopefully I'm they're going to protect you, not attack you. I go there and I see the same crap I see on, from the same people on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter. Like it's just, it's, the problem with that is 
it's just we don't need another of the same place. I understand the two, there's some real cool community stuff. I, the chat is annoying a lot of the times, but it can work really well. But I don't get we don't need another same place. And, and that's I, my problem with it. Yeah. And I will say that, um, you know, Google Plus does work for a lot of people. Um, but I think I think the take home message, what I hear you saying here is, first of all, marketer, don't just rush out because everybody else is doing it right. Like, remember when Snapchat was uh, denied? You know, I said, no, Facebook, we're not going to accept $3 billion. Well, I'll be honest. I went and opened up a a Snapchat account. I didn't understand a darn thing about it. And I abandoned it, you know. Uh, Am I on Snapchat? Technically, yes, but. (laughs) You're there, yeah. You know, I had to ask my young nephew what the heck the darn thing was. So what's the the problem here? Why are us marketers, you know, um, so focused on on a this broadcasting mentality why are we unwilling i guess that another way to engage is it a lack of time is it a lack of commitment i think it's i think it's both i think it's time commitment and and also it's it's marketing laziness too though where they don't want to hear it and even from my agency side of things you know you go in there you do a media buy you do these things it's not it's not a lot of let, let's say it's not labor intensive on a cut like like customer services where every person's a call you have to you have to field it marketing I'll go do the media buy once I create the uh, you know the, the the copy once I write the copy once I put out the the ad certain it goes out there and whether it's a banner whether it's TV I don't have to repeat the effort the problem with social if you're going to do it right is it's the back and forth everything else in media is pushed and I, it's one effort and it goes. With social, you can push and do the one effort, but when people start talking back, you're like, "Whoa, I'm not, I'm not customer service. I'm not dealing with these people talking to me all the time." And that's the problem. We're always looking. It's so North America. It's so I want that diet pill. You know, I just I want the benefit of engagement. But how do I not actually do the engagement part? I want the community, Scott. We love what you're saying, Scott, about engaging and a community. We're part of that. We're on, bo- we're on board with you. But how do we not do the work? Like that's all. What I, that's really what I hear from people is they don't want to put the effort into instead of getting the engagement side of it. And I, I'm not one to say every brand, every person needs to use all the popular platforms. I just want to say if you think there's a value in talking to each other or your customers or your targets or your colleagues, if there's value in networking to you, then look at this. And if you don't want to hear from anybody, and I know, and you know too, there's companies out there who don't care what their customers think or say. They just want them to buy the widget and go home and be quiet. Then that's, then social isn't for them. And I think we will be a better human race when we stop trying to convince those people to do it. It's the middle ground who try to half-ass it, who think they can do it. And then they become consultants. (laughs) <laughs> and go around and tell people to do it. Like I can't, I can't. This I cannot count the number of consultant pages I've seen on Facebook who promise with their next webinar to give people a um, have their Facebook page triple in in likes and engagement levels, and their whole page themselves is terrible with no likes and no engagement at all. Well. Let's transition here over to a company that is doing it well. I know that you watch a lot of different things that go wrong, and I'm sure along the way you've seen a really some good examples of businesses that seem to be doing it right. Can you share a story of any particular company of any size that seems to to get it? What are they doing? How, why is it working for them? What are yeah, your thoughts? Yeah, I just had one just happen. We're actually we're going to put it in the new book. It just happened to to me, um, and. You know, sadly and wonderfully for my world, it's, it only it happens very rarely. But which means I remember them, 
And which also is a hidden message to companies out there is that if you're just okay at this stuff, you'll be great because everybody else is terrible. Like the bar is set so low. So my son um, went, you know, came home from school and said, I broke my headphones. He, he pulled them too far off his head. And I, I, being the trendy, horrible father I am, I bought him for Christmas. I bought him the, the Beats by Dre. And because I'm, I don't, and don't, please don't write in and comment on the, on the show about how Seinhauer's are, and, and Bose are better. I know they are, but he needs, he needs the popularity in school. I understand that. And I bought him the, the bright orange, you know, DJ mixer beats by Dre and he snapped them. So if they're just my headphones, I don't care, but these are $300 headphones. So I think 250 is to look cool and 50 are for the headphones themselves. They snap. So I go and I'm walking, I'm in the mall actually. And I go to the Apple store because we bought them at the Apple store, but their warranty is like 35 minutes if it's not an Apple product. So, it doesn't, <laughs> so they're not going to take it back. And they said, you have to contact beats. I'm like, Oh God, here we go. I'm so conditioned to deal with these people of a customer service nature, I'm just ready for a fight, which is terrible, but I'm ready for a fight. And so I go on their site and I look at their site and I, you know, it's on my phone. So it's not very phone friendly, but I see something saying beats by Dre has a customer service Twitter handle. It's actually like, you know, it's like customer service beats. It's like, it's specifically for customer service issues, which is brilliant. So I tweet them. Hey, got them a few months ago. They snapped in the headband. And I actually, I looked up and there was actually a common problem. It happens. They're very, uh, you know, brittle in one, in one part. And I just wrote them on Twitter and they wrote back in four minutes said, Hey Scott, so sorry about that. We, we appreciate you buying them. Um, shoot us a DM with your, your email and we'll set up the whole return thing for you. And I went and said, okay. And I followed them. I sent them my email. They wrote me back in three more minutes said, um, thanks so much. This is Jeff. Um, we'll shoot you an email very shortly with instructions. I then 10 minutes later, get an email saying, Hey, this is uh, Karen. Just by the way, I'm the one setting up your whole thing. Here's your, Work order number, here's this, you'll get a form. All you got to do is print it out, you're good to go. If you want to attach the receipt to the email uh, as a PDF, if that's easier for you, or you can print it out and send it back with the item, whatever. Now, here's the thing. Wow, total customer service, like literally handholding every step, right? I didn't know, Mike, I I, I didn't know what to do. I have never had such a smooth feeling because here, when when they hand off that, you know, when the brand ball and they drop the ball because Twitter's really good and they say, just call this number, we'll take care of you. And they're terrible on the phone right. or the most common thing that happens on Twitter is when I tweet, I have a problem. They'll say, Hey, sorry about that. Call this number or sorry about that. You have to go to the web form over here, which happens all the time. They did the same thing. I still had to go through the web, but they said, give us your email. Let us do it for you. We'll set up the whole form and just send it over to you for your you know approval. So they were totally a hundred percent on board with it. So their support, we can't, we can't avoid mistakes. We can't avoid products breaking, services letting us down. It will happen. It's how we resolve them. It's how we take accountability for them. And to me, before this, I was actually upset because they snapped. And my son now doesn't have a headphones. He's got to use mine. And, you know, for, for a 12-year-old, that's, the, that's his whole world, right? You got to listen to your music. And for me, they changed their entire brand to me, but how much they backed it up and how many times have brands told anybody listening right now, thanks for tweeting us, but you're, you're in, if you translate it, it's saying you're standing in the wrong line. You got to go line up over there on our web form. And nobody ever wants to be told that they're lined up in the wrong line or they're, they're talking. Brands need, if they want to be in the social game, they have to reply on the platform I'm talking to them on. If you're going to set up shop, then you need to be able to be responsive they have totally changed their brand perception in my brain because of that. And I've shipped them off and off they went and they've already approved it because I sent them a picture. 
And they said, we'll send them back. And in the meantime, we'll be sending you a new pair. This is awesome. And let's pause for a second here because this is so important. Um, the impact of this experience that you had for them is going to help their brand in an enormous way. And they don't even realize it yet because you're going to write about this in your next book. You're going to talk about this in your speeches. So this does bring up a very good point and, and counter question. How do we as marketers do things that are worth talking about? Because you've just evangelized a brand for the last five minutes for, from a very simple tweet. So how do we do things that will encourage our customers to talk about us in a positive way? Because clearly you're going to talk about these guys for a while. Well, and here's, here's the key too, though, because I, I know people listening right now will bring up this objection because it gets brought up all the time when it comes to me, which is, well, they replied to you because you're you. You have 165,000 followers. You've written these books about bad customer service. So obviously they're going to treat you better. And my answer is, yes, it happens, but not them. You go and look at their Twitter account. It's the same consistency. It's the same brand messaging. It's the same concern for somebody with seven followers who's 12 years old to me who's a bitter 38-year-old man on Twitter with a large following. And that's a huge key. So one of the first keys is, you know, doing stuff worth talking about is don't try to pick and choose who you're going to do the great stuff with. If you're only, if you're only uh, really, if you're only awesome with influencers, you're not actually awesome. You're elitist. And it doesn't work that way because it's the common man. It's the person who's been abused, you know, on a customer service level their whole lives that can get angry, you know, angry the most. So that's one thing. And the next thing is, is, you know, I want to say exceeding expectations, but that doesn't, it doesn't do it lip service. What it's almost like, Fulfilling expectations is a good start where because in, in a sense of Twitter, that content can spread because it's publicized customer service. And people see that going across their, their screens and say, oh, either this brand cares or this doesn't. I can't tell you how many tweets back and forth with Air Canada on the flip side, on the bad side of things that people have jumped in where I'm not talking to them. I'm just talking back and forth with Air Canada. They write back and said, wow, I don't, I'm not going to fly these guys now. Right? Just how you handle your day-to-day business can be something worth talking about, which is sad on one hand and wonderful on the other hand. It's, it's, like I said, to be great, you only have to be mediocre sometimes. And on the other side of it, creating stuff, it's almost like you don't have to create the tweets or the content on a blog. You have to do the actions that somebody wants to blog about. Uh, uh, it's a famous story about that I talk about in my talks with Joshi with the Ritz-Carlton and the the kid left Joshi at the resort and they, they found him for him before they sent him home. They took photos of Joshi around the resort. And wait, wait, wait. T- explain what Joshi is because some people might think it's a kid. Yeah, so Joshi's a, a poorly stuffed giraffe. It's a kid's play. It's, it's a stuffed toy and the kid forgot it. And we all know if we have kids, you know how much a panic is if you forget your favorite toy. And here's the thing, and, and you want my best advice. My background used to be HR. I used to be in human resources. I used to do hiring and firing and everything. And I got out of it because I I hate people, but um, when I was in it, (laughs) the best way to create great stories and great content is hire and have people that work for you and with you that have the attitude that every opportunity is something, every every, uh, problem, every instance is an opportunity to create that great story. And sometimes they may or may not get shared. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, and I really did enjoy what, uh, what you showed in your presentation about this stuffed animal, um, you know, uh, getting a manicure with the cucumbers yep. on the eyes and all that kind by of stuff. By the pool, by the bar. It's just so good. Yeah. I mean, it's like what you're, what you're really talking about is, um, little things, sometimes big things, right. In the case of, 
uh, this was the Four Seasons or Ritz Carlton? Ritz Carlton. In the case of Ritz Carlton, obviously they had to go out of their way to take these pictures and stuff. But in the case of you, it was just a matter of responding with the kind of service you would expect if you were face to face, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And you know that because so many people expect so little, and I I have this happen like recently um, today, someone hit the reply button uh, and said, "Hey." Um, you know, I've already purchased a ticket to your conference. Um, I feel like you're spamming me. And I replied back and I said, well, actually I did remove your email address from that broadcast. It just so happens that you're subscribed to our newsletter with another email address. And here's, here's what they are. And she's like, Oh my gosh, you rock. That's so cool. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but how many people in your shoes would have just called the person a moron yeah. and de- deleted them or walked away? It's just, it, it, it mind-blowing how something as simple as that and you could have made the person feel stupid and you didn't right, right? where you like you could have said listen jerk you're here and here so don't give me lip and i've seen it i put that <laughs> i put those type of things in books but you did it in the right way and i'm sure that actually made the person a stronger fan yeah and it, and i think this is one of the key things we need to to drive home right which is that these small things by just simply responding to people um, draws them closer to you and to your brand, makes them evangelist for your brand. Um, in some cases, you know, if it's, it might end up on Facebook and they might say, hey, I love this company, da, da, da. It converts the angry person into the happy person, right? Bingo. And, and these things- You can actually, you can flip them because a lot, if there's a tweet or an email, what they're first saying is that they want to be acknowledged. They want to be heard. And, you know, a lot of times they're not even demanding what they're asking for. They just want somebody to say, you know what, sorry about that, or here's an explanation. Now, I know there's somebody listening right now that's saying to themselves, okay, there's just no way that I right now have the time or the energy to do this and still um, be involved with social media. Um, Is there any kind of small baby steps that you might want to recommend to the person thinking that right now just to kind of try this out and begin to see the value that can come from something like this? Yeah, I the biggest point is is if you're going to put that toe in the water, you don't you know, you necessarily, you know, throw yourself into the middle of the ocean to do it. I think just pick a platform, pick one, but here's the best, the best way I think you can do it is the same way I did it with Twitter because we were all new once to one of these things. And for me, I joined it personally. I joined it for me. I wasn't joining it for what what I was doing was I wanted to, to connect with other business owners because when you own your own business, it's very isolating. It's, you know, you just, just I don't have, a, I don't have the water cooler. I'm not sitting there, and talking to Jeff about what he did in the weekend. And it just doesn't happen that way. So I just wanted to connect with a few people. I didn't want to take over. I didn't, it's like writing a book. You don't sit down and write 60,000 words. You write a chapter, right? And that was the whole thing for social. It's just you join Twitter and talk to five people, meaning five tweets. And people that aren't necessarily replying to you first, right? No, no, exactly. Put it out there. And I joined and I first started talking to people about sports, about the Detroit Lions. I talked about poker and I talked about Las Vegas, three of my favorite things in the world. And that was no pressure. I could talk about them easily. And I found other people who might like it, which is a, a networking 101, really, is finding common interests with people. And I just started it. I didn't need to, to take over the platform to do it. I just needed to try. And also, give yourself permission that you don't have to do social. Once you take the pressure off, then you might want to try it. Not because you have to, or you're told you're to, or some consultant said you're an idiot if you don't, or you're behind, or you're too late. Just give it a try. And the best way, especially for something like Twitter even, is, is start geographically. Start locally. Start with people in your area because the problem with Twitter is it's the world. The problem with Facebook, it's the world. And that's a really 
awesome, huge field, and it's huge as well. It's intimidating. It's too big. And start with a small area. If you live in in, um, in Chicago, then find people in the Chicago area that like whatever. I don't care. They like the Blackhawks, and you just start seeing what they're talking about and jump in a little bit. Just get your toe wet, and don't you don't have to commit twenty hours a week to something. Just give it a shot. And maybe even start with the Twitter chat, right? Because those yeah. are those are places where people go specifically to engage with each other. And and so they're on top of there. They have the hashtag and start chatting with people because they're when they're chatting in there, they're automatically saying, "I'm willing to talk with each other with this like interest." Exactly. Well, I hope people that are listening right now are beginning to at least reprogram a little bit of their thinking that social media is really social. <laughs> and so many of us, unfortunately, are more focused on the media and need to be fo- more focused on the social. Scott, um, I know that a lot of people that are listening right now probably want to explore more about you. So where can they discover you and your latest book, QR Codes Kill Kittens? I love that <laughs> title, uh, by the way. <laughs> unmarketing is everything in my world. So unmarketing.com, Twitter's unmarketing, Facebook slash unmarketing, Instagram's unmarketing. Everything you want to go to is all in marketing. And uh, the Unpodcast is where you get to know us the best, which is at unpodcast.com or the site. And the books are on the site, but anywhere fine books are sold, you can find the books. Scott Stratton, thank you so much for joining me today. I know I speak for a lot of people that were listening. Uh, you are awesome. Thanks, Mike. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's show. I just want to mention that you can get the show notes. So if there's anything that we mentioned any time during the show and you missed it, we take all the notes for you, socialmediaexaminer.com slash 84. And you can also go there to leave your comments and questions and interact with me and our guest, Scott Stratton. Also, if you are a regular listener to the show and you have not already done so, would you please consider giving me a rating and a review on whatever platform you use? And if that happens to be iTunes, socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes. You can also find us at socialmediaexaminer.com slash Stitcher. And you can also find us on SoundCloud. And if you're not already subscribing with whatever your app of choice is, I would love it if you would subscribe so that you can automatically never miss one of our shows. This does bring us to the end of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. And I really do hope I get a chance to meet you in person at Social Media Marketing World. Check it out at Social Media World 14. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.